0: Into a little bit of a context. Um, What have we seen Jesus do so far? We've seen him being baptized. We've seen him go to the wilderness. We've seen him uh, call disciples, uh, the first of the disciples, anyway. And this is the first action that Jesus is taking. They went to Cavernium, Jesus and these young fellows. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he wouldn't let the
1: demons speak because they knew who he was. Mark pitches in straight away with the activity of Jesus. You look at this one and it's Jesus
0: driving out an evil spirit of a guy who's in the synagogue. You go down to the next um, sort of story of of a miracle and it's a man with leprosy. It's a healing story. And then chapter two begins with another healing story that's linked to forgiveness. The three things that the kingdom of God is about are demonstrated one after another in the beginning of this Mark's Gospel. You wanted to know what Jesus is about, Mark's just told you. He's going to set people free who are tormented by evil spirits.
1: He's going to heal those who are uh, sick and he's going to forgive. He does it by three stories. Let's just look very briefly, at them. It didn't actually begin with the evil
0: spirit being cast out, began by Jesus' teaching. And the first thing you notice is that Jesus clashes with the teachers of the law or the scribes would be another way of describing them. So you might have heard the phrase scribes and Pharisees. But the scribes or the teachers of the law were the people who would do the teaching. And Jesus has gone to the synagogue and what would happen in the synagogue is you'd be given the roll, the scroll, and you'd open it up to find the reading, a little bit like I'm doing now, and you'd read it and then there'd be some teaching from it. We've been doing this for thousands of years. The difference was when Jesus was doing it from the way that the teachers of the law was doing it, when the teachers of the law were doing it, they would say, well, Rabbi so-and-so says this and Rabbi so-and-so says that and Rabbi so-and-so, he disagreed because of that. And actually, if you read Jewish literature, that's pretty much how they do their teaching. It's kind of like building, evolving authority on the basis of what somebody else thought and what somebody else thought and what somebody else thought.
1: And Jesus comes. And Jesus says... This is what I say. And in a context like that, it must have sounded so remarkably different. You remember
0: in the Gospel of Matthew uh, in the Sermon on the Mount? You see it there. You have
1: heard it was said, but I say. And the inevitable is, well, who do you think you are? (laughs) That's
0: actually what was being provoked. Who do you think you are? you're not talking about rabbis you're not talking about tradition you're not talking about our evolving way of understanding you're just coming in and going ah this is the way i see things it was the clash of authority because jesus was actually saying i'm going to show you the way i'm going to teach you the way the world is i'm going to tell you about yourself and i'm going to do it in a way that i will tell
1: the truth uh, when john's gospel he will say, Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and the life. Jesus not looking to anybody else, but Jesus coming in and going, This is the way it's going to be. Jesus who tells the truth about the way the world is. And while he's doing that in the synagogue, There's a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Suddenly, it's like, wah! (laughs) And disruption happens. And uh, he reacts to Jesus. Now, you're reading the gospel, and particularly as 21st century people, you read the gospel and you go, what's this unclean spirit business? Well, let's just do a little bit of unpacking about it for a moment. In Mark's Gospel,
0: Mark has four stories about evil spirits or unclean spirits. Mark's preferred term is unclean spirit, but he means the same thing. Evil spirit or demons or, um, yeah. This one, in a sense, the emphasis of the story in this one is about authority. Jesus who can do this. In chapter 5, you've got the Gadarene man, the man who's infected by all these demons, who cries out. And Jesus, they ask, him, can we go into the pigs? And the pigs fly, briefly. All right, A strange story, and we'll get to it, but that's kind of like an extreme case, for reasons I'll explain when we get there. In chapter 7, you've got this non-Jewish woman, the Syrophoenician woman, whose daughter, and uh, she is unwilling to, uh, she, you know, Jesus sort of initially says, no, 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 I've just come for Israel. And she really pushes in on him. And then the fourth one is when the disciples, do you remember when Jesus is up the Mount of Transfiguration and the disciples, three of the disciples have been there and the nine of them that have been left are trying to cast out a demon from a boy who's harming the boy and they can't do it. And although it's about an evil spirit, often it seems that there's something else going on in each of those cases. So Mark's telling the story, but he's telling you it in a context of other stuff. And then there's other references, which are kind of like passing references to demons. We read one in chapter 1, verse 33. That evening the whole town gathered, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. The demons in chapter 3, verse 11, they know who Jesus is. The apostles are appointed with authority over them. And then, uh, chapter 6, the 12 are sent out with
1: authority over demons. Just to put it into a context for you, there are 10 stories about healing, four about demons. Okay. So they're there, but it's not everywhere. But Jesus is clearly
0: taking this seriously and doing something about it. Now, there's any number of things that we might want to just get clear in our minds. Firstly, is whenever you start talking about evil spirits, there's a number of images that might come to your mind. Firstly, if you've been in or around horror stories or you've watched the movies the the exorcist or the omen or whatever it was in days gone by or if you're aware of that genre of film then actually you can be affected by that because it becomes this incredibly scary thing or if you've been in certain uh, parts of the church where some people would suggest there's demons under every seat and everything that happens to you is a demon and everything that you need to worry about is there's a demon coming out of you or going into you or that's, that's there, then that also might be a concern for you because it's kind of like, and either one of two things will happen to you probably, in, in, certainly in the church cases, either you'll really go with that and you'll see them everywhere or you'll react against it and you want to see them nowhere. C.S. Lewis is very wise on this. And you might remember at the beginning of Screwtape Letters, he talked about this thing of, you know, you either get obsessed with it, or you want to ignore it completely. And there's something about how do we make sense of what's going on? It's gone cold. It's just, 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 just an evil spirit. <laughs> I don't know if it's coming in or going out, but it's... So, what does the New Testament tell us? What does the New Testament tell us? The first thing the New Testament tells us is that we live in a world where there are forces, there are powers and principalities who were created for good by God, but who actually want to disrupt all that God has for his own creation. And they want to disrupt the... Uh, the, the people who've been created in his own image. They want to keep them at a distance. So Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he will say, the gods of this age have blinded the eyes of the unbelievers. It's almost like they're working to stop people hearing the good news of God. He'll also say in the, to the Ephesians, he says, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers. It's sort of like there's things that stand against us. And I think this is where we, we, we begin. We either say that view of the world is right, or the view of the world that says there's nothing like that is right. And you've got to almost decide which understanding of the world you're going to live in. The New Testament clearly has an understanding that there are malign forces as well as good forces. There's God's good uh, messengers, angels, his spirit, his work that surrounds us, but there's also evil that would want to contain us. The other interesting thing just to say about this is that when Jesus deals with evil spirits, nobody has to have. Nobody in that sense is forgiven. They're just released. They don't have to confess. They're just released. And actually, when we read the gospel, mostly what we see is not Jesus going looking. In fact, I don't think we ever see it. We never see Jesus going looking for them. They react to him. So it's almost like in the presence of God, something happens and evil can't live close to to Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm not going to do this too quick, and I don't want to just railroad this. I want to actually make sure that you feel confident in what I'm saying. In Proverbs, this is um, part of a long section about, in a sense... What God has created us for is in a context where it's talking about a woman, but actually this is the way God has created, this is that, what we're created for. She's clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come. That sense of, actually, do you know what? I'm a woman or a man of strength and dignity. I can laugh at the days to come because I am not afraid. I will not be bound by fear. Do you know the phrase where uh, you might say of someone else? Something's really got hold of him and I'm not sure what it is, but I don't think it's good. Or something's come over me. Or you might talk about the demons in my head. You're not mentally ill because some people do have voices. And actually, they can be treated because there's a mental illness and it's an illness And we know they can be treated because actually the doctors know how not just to numb them, but actually to help people deal with them. They can be healed. But there's some of us who carry things in our heads and it's not because we're mentally ill. It's almost like the voices that occasionally will come and say things like, you're useless. You've always been useless. What makes you think you're going to be able to be used by God. Now, you're not mentally ill, and you might be able to explain where they come from, but they get a grip of you, and it's not enough to be rational and say, well, of course I understand. This is because my mother used to say this to me quite regularly, and therefore I'll just walk in a different way. That may well be true. That may well have been said over you, but actually, the grip that that has on you is tighter than your rational ability to say, I know where it came from, but actually, you're left with this grip. Now, I've got to be really careful here, and I'm trying to tread really carefully here. Could that be one of the ways the enemy wants to neutralize? the sense of you being a son or a daughter of God. In other words, is this one way the enemy wants to sideline you? Is this one of the ways the enemy, Satan, the accuser, wants you to make you feel like you are a less of a son of God or a woman of God than Jesus would tell you you are? And I think that's certainly the case in some cases. <laughs> we all have bad days. We all have the days when we wonder whether, we're, whether we can do something. But some of us know the feeling of being gripped. And I suppose my question would be, if Jesus was with you, what would he want to do for you? Would he go, oh, well, never mind, eh? Or would Jesus see something there that he would want to say, let's break that. Let's break it. In verse 32 of this passage, you have, just a throwaway comment, really, but it's really important. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. He clearly wants to say there's a difference. There's some stuff that needs to be healed and there's some stuff that needs to be broken. Now the problem for some of us is, if we thought we were being tormented by an evil spirit, A, we would panic B, we would think we've done something dreadfully wrong. And C, we wouldn't want to admit it because of A and B. But actually, what if? What if, part of living in this now and not yet world, Jesus has come and has um, defeated Satan, and yet he's waiting, you know, we're still waiting for the final defeat. What if we live in the now and the not yet and there's some things that still need to be dealt with? When, uh, when Jesus meets this guy, it says, the evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us and know who you are, the Holy One of God? Much later, John will write in one of his letters that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So in a sense, when this voice shouts out, have you come to destroy us? The answer is, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I have come to destroy, not the man, but the thing that grips the man. Jesus came to destroy the devil's work. The stuff that holds us back, the stuff that destroys the created image, the stuff that gets a hold of us. And in verse 27, if you read, the people were amazed They said, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? And then they say, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. It's like Jesus comes as the one who is ruling here. He's in charge. He's able to see obedience even with the malign spirits. Okay, we've not got all the time in the world, but this is so important that you don't go away with the wrong impression that I just want to pause for a moment and ask, is, are there any questions that are worth asking in case I've not been clear? Because I, I, this, is, this to me is... I'm, I'm kind of wanting to walk in careful ground and I want to walk pastorally, carefully, and I want to walk helpfully. So this is a moment where it's just worth me asking, is there anything that you're hearing that you're not hearing well? So that, the things that come against us, that tell us we're useless. Is, is the work of the accuser. I am actually saying that, yes. Yeah. Because I'm, what I'm saying is that the words that God would say over us and would speak to us are that you're mine. And that actually my spirit lives in you. And my spirit would want to do this for you. So the voices that come and go, you're not his, he doesn't love you, you are useless, what makes you think you're any good cannot come from God, they are lies. So where's the fount of that coming from? And as I said, you might have a human understanding of where that's coming from, a historical understanding, but actually the effect of that is used to diminish you, which strikes me as the thing that the devil wants to do to us. He wants to make you smaller, less sure, less confident. And I think there's two things, aren't there? Because there are times when actually just resisting is enough. You can. It's not, it's not coming in such a flood. You're able to say, no, actually, I know where this is from. I know how to deal with this. It's wrong. I'm going to, you know, Luther, I'm going to laugh at the devil. That was his way of dealing with it. I'm just going to laugh. Because what the devil hates, he said, was laughter. Being laughed at. But there's other times when things grip people to such an extent that you need someone else to help you. Distance yourself from that pattern. And this is where I think what what the, the, you know, to use the the language of exorcism. And the problem is, the problem with the exorcism language now is it's, oh, we're back in there again, aren't we? We're back in moments. Where actually, exorcism just means we want to cast out this malign influence, we want this to go. Now, I don't think Pentecostal and charismatic preachers have helped here. Because when we're yelling at each other, that doesn't give a sense of this is a safe, something safe's happening here. It's like, this is more, I, I was better before. Now I'm frightened to death and. <laughs> So I think there is a moment where actually it is okay to say to one another, do you know what? I'm gripped in a cycle that is not of God, that I cannot break free myself. Will you pray that this cycle will be broken? That the power of the enemy's hold over my mind is broken? And it may be that something's so deep within that we would want to say, God, we just want to cast this out. We want this to go. And I think we should be able to do that with authority, but with with real authority, but in a way that doesn't that's helpful. That doesn't make the person feel diminished in another way. So I think there's something about this, about actually how do you minister to one another? How do you minister to yourself? It's a great question. How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it with one another? And then how do you deal with it when you see see these patterns in family? Because actually, I suspect that most of us would say we see certain patterns in our family members that might actually be holding them back from the people that God would want them to be. And you pray for them, but there's times when you may well want to pray against things that are going on in their lives. Jill. So the question is about how does, how does this fit with the discernment of spirits? And I think there is something to be reminded about by the whole gifts of the spirit thing, which is a body thing. So actually there is sometimes some people will become more aware of what's going on here. Is this illness? Is this, let's use the word demonic. What's the spirit of God wanting to do here? And I think there's something about the wisdom that God gives to a body of people that means we're not all of us trying to do all of it on our own. I've seen, and I've seen it done really badly. I've seen people who are epileptic being dealt with as though they had a spirit. And I don't think they did. I think there's an illness. And it's the differentiation between what's going on here that allows us to minister really well. I'm going to run out of time. And it's my own fault. Can things change? Was the question that Jesus is actually dealing with here. The man in the synagogue, who knows how many years he'd been sitting in the synagogue, tormented. But he meets Jesus and things change. And What's Jesus doing? He's putting everything that's been out of shape back into shape. And for you and me, we're sent out with the same the same confidence in the same Jesus. We're sent out with the same authority in Jesus' name. We're sent out to be able to discern what's going on here and how do we respond? Probably not on your own, probably with others around you, but actually the point is when we read Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is coming near What's the kingdom look like? To those who are gripped by spirits that are not of God, there's freedom. Because Jesus is putting things right and he uses me and you to be part of that work of the kingdom. So in a sense, what happens, one of the things that happens is you go out asking different questions. You go out asking different questions about the situations you're finding yourself in with other people. God, what is happening here? And how might I best respond? You don't go charging in like a bull in a china shop, as though you've got the answer to every problem that you're ever going to meet. But you go in going, God, I think you might want to use me here. How can I be used? What are you doing? And how do I best respond? The Apostle Paul once was followed around by a young girl who was gripped by an evil spirit. And he said, after a few days, he turned to her and cast the spirit out. I love that idea. He didn't charge in, didn't diagnose immediately. But after a few days, that's the Apostle Paul. There's a sense in which, God, I need to know what's going on here and I want to be used by you the last thing the last last thing it's not it's not inappropriate it's not wrong and you're not wrong to come and say do you know what i think i'm gripped by something that's not of god will you pray with me that it will be broken you've not become evil you've not done stuff to do that but something the enemy has gripped or is trying to get hold of you and actually this is a moment where Jesus comes and goes do you know what? There can be freedom there can be freedom <laughs> there's lots of worried faces <laughs> <laughs> and there, there perhaps needs to be because actually I don't, we don't want to mishandle that But neither do we want to miss it. Because I think it's real. And I think our experience tells us it's real. And I think if we're going to minister in the name of Jesus, we need to take it seriously as well. Should we pray together? Jesus, there's times when we read the Bible and we are um, challenged by what we read. It's easy to read it swiftly and just our eyes glaze over the passages we know relatively well and for it not to actually make a difference to the way we see life or the world around us or indeed the way we see you and so today Lord we come to a passage that for some of us will be challenging because it asks us to see life differently Lord today we choose to trust you Lord, we thank you that some of us in the room would be really the first to say, we know what it means to be delivered, to be saved, to be released, to be liberated, to be freed. Some of us in the room know what it feels like to have been gripped by stuff that's not of you and then to be given new life. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, some of us live with some of this stuff, and we would want to pray that Jesus, you would break the powers that hold. And I want to pray for folks this morning who know it from the inside. Know that not, there's not mental health issues, it's not healing they need, but they know that they're gripped by patterns of thought, patterns of behavior that make them smaller, and that the enemy uses to accuse them. Lord, I pray for freedom for those people. I pray you'd break every bond of Satan, everything that would hold us back from the love that you have for us. Lord, free us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, as we go forward, into a world around us that has many different ways of explaining how the world works. Lord, may we know how to minister in the name of Jesus in a way that's really helpful. We pray that we might be agents of freedom.
2: of the words of Jesus that say do this in remembrance of me and he wants us to remember that there is forgiveness through his blood there is healing and wholeness through his broken body so as we take communion this morning I'm encouraging you to remember the power of the cross of Christ and as you receive communion you receive him You receive help, you receive hope, you receive strength, you receive everything that you need in the name of Jesus Christ. So I'm gonna invite Hannah to lead us in worship. I'm gonna invite those who are serving communion, please, please come forward now. But remember, there is power in the cross of Christ. And we'll receive what we need from him. So if those who are serving, please come forward. And if Hannah, if you can lead us in song. And you're welcome to take communion if you are a believer and you understand, you are very, very welcome. And if you're unsure and you just like to stay in your seat and reflect, that's
1: fine too.